Okay, so first of all, a big thank you to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Yehuda Schiller for opening their home once again. This is, I, I think, the third, the third thing, the f- third shul thing we've done here, no? Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe sure. even more. Yeah. It's a shir, a Fabrangan, another shir. <laughs> Yehuda's a great guy. Yehuda's a great guy, and, uh, you know. You know, there are some people, like, in shul, not, none of your husbands, obviously, but there are, there are some people that, like, complain and, like, you know, things could be like this, things could be like that. When, when, if Yehuda were to complain about anything, it would be like, things are just too good. Things are too good, things are too amazing. Like, that would be the type of thing. You know, he's such a great guy. Hashem should bless both of you and the whole family with continue nachas and simcha and bracha and just all good things, all good things on all levels. You know, wherever, wherever God goes, things blossom. Wherever God is, you know, the grass turns green. So that's the main thing in life, that Hashem should just fill this house and every nook and cranny of your lives. And where God is... All good things come with that. So, Shabizoch to that, you and the whole Chavra, the whole Kehila, all of Kla Yisrael. <clears throat> okay, so, you know, the, the, the time period that we're in right now, you know, towards the, the middle, second half of Adar Aleph, Adar Beis, this idea, so that's what we're going to talk about now for a few minutes, this idea of a leap year. This idea of a leap year. You know, every, every single month has its own identity, as, you know, during the, the shirim every month, we talk about the different identity, different personality of every month. But now it's not just a matter of figuring out Adar, but it's a, f- a matter of figuring out this concept of a leap year. So let me, let me give you a little bit of a background in terms of what a leap year is about. You know, like our oldest daughter, her birthday is an Adar. So she, she's super confused how old she is, when's her birthday, two birthdays, no birthdays, you know. But, uh, so, it's, it's a complicated thing. But let me explain just uh, on a very basic level. We know that there's two, there's two, uh, there's two years that, a, that a calendars can, can go with. You could have a solar year, right, based on the rotation of the Earth around the Sun, and that's 365 days, right? Or you could have a lunar year, right, a year based on 12 cycles of the Moon revolving around the Earth. Now that totals 354 days. So there's an 11-day difference between the solar year and the lunar year. Now usually our holidays and everything follows the lunar year, which is based on the moon. The problem is, is that if you only go with the lunar year, because of those 11 days difference, then with time, after a number of years, things can get a little bit strange. You could have uh, Tisha B'Av in the middle of the winter, you know, because the seasons are based on the sun. You know, so if you keep on going with the moon and you disregard the solar year, then all the holidays will keep on changing seasons. So Pesach can be in the summer, and Hanukkah can be in the summer, and Tisha B'Av in the winter. Everything will become a little bit strange. And we know from Psukim that the Rabbanu Shalom wants us to go based on the, sol- the, the lunar year, based on the moon, but every Yantif is defined based on its season. So what do we do to keep keep in line the solar year and the lunar year. So you have an idea of a leap year. Every few years and so on, there's a whole system to it, we add a new month, we add other base, right? Or other Aleph, we add another other. And by adding another, another month every, you know, X number of years, that reunites the sun and the moon. The solar year and the lunar year are now reunited. That's the halachic process. That's what a leap year does. That's the purpose of a leap year, is to bring, is to realign the lunar year and the solar year, that they should, be in the, they should be in sync. Okay, now we know everything in Torah, though, is something that's halachic and practical, but it also is telling us something about Avodah Hashem. So what we're seeing in this idea of a leap year 
is that within ourselves there is what's called the sun and what's called the moon. And the avoda of a leap year, and specifically somehow it's related to Adar in particular, is to realign, is to reconnect the sun and the moon. Okay, so let's think about that. We'll put that to the side a little bit, and we'll, we'll get back to that soon. You know, in, in the, the parashas that we're in right now are all talking about the building of the Mishkan. Right? That's what it's about. Moshe Rabbeinu is told about the Mishkan, and he tells the Jewish people about it. They give donations, and the Mishkan is actually built. That's the whole, these, these weeks, the past couple weeks, the coming couple weeks, it's all about the Mishkan. What we find is an interesting thing when it comes to the Mishkan. The Mishkan, on the one hand, was a structure that one of the most basic uh, uh, qualifications that was needed to build the Mishkan was everything had to be beautiful. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. <clears throat> the only the people that were building the Mishkan had to be people of high, of high spiritual stature. Every single corner of the Mishkan was made with beautiful artistry. It was just a beautiful structure with absolute perfection, and everything was precise, all the measurements exact, everything perfect. But what's interesting is that at the same time, what we find woven into the Mishkan itself was also imperfection. What do I mean? So the Pasuk says, it's actually in, in next week's parasha, for example, the Pasuk says that when the Jewish people gave all the donations to the Mishkan, it says in Pasuk, <coughs> that all the materials that were brought to build the Mishkan were enough, everything, they had enough materials, to use the materials to build the Mishkan, plus extra, plus extra. Now, now this is interesting, because we have a principle in Yiddishkeit, which is, kol ha-maisif that something could be imperfect in two ways, either not enough or too much. It's also not perfect. Perfect means exact. So what's interesting is, is that the Rabbanu Shloilam, the, the Divine Providence made it in such a way with the Mishkan that there was an imperfection in terms of the donations. The donations was more than enough. More than that, the Archaim HaKadosh and a lot of the commentaries explain that when the Mishkan was made, although when, they, when the materials were all laid out in front of them, with their calculations, they figured out that there's more than enough. When they made the Mishkan, everything was used up. So in a certain sense, if you think about it, the excess, which is imperfection, was actually then incorporated in the Mishkan. So you have on the one hand this dynamic where the Mishkan is perfect, it's beautiful, it's, everything is, is, is exactly to the centimeter, but yet the materials that were used Ex- excess materials were, were used in the Mishkan. So there's a certain level of imperfection that it seems to be like sort of injected in the Mishkan. More than that, we know that the donations that were made were two, two types. There's the donations that were made that were just voluntary. You have extra gold, silver, uh, wool, linen, you could donate it. But then there was mandatory donations. And the mandatory donation was every single Jew had to give a machsah shekel, right? Half a coin. It's also half a coin. Again, perfection is exact, not more and not less. So it's interesting. Again, if, if the Mishkan is about a, building a place for Hashem, which we would think would demand perfection, then I would imagine that the donations would be a full coin. Why half a coin? It's the opposite of perfection. More than that, you know, in, in, in Torah, there are certain numbers that stick out. A number that always represents perfect is the number 10. Right? Because the number 10 is, is a, it's perfect in the sense that it's 
um, you know, you went through all the digits, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you returned to completion. You sort of returned to one. That's what number 10 is. So 10 people for a minion, 10 is a significant number. In the Mishkan, the curtains, the, the, the walls, the, the, the ceiling of the Mishkan was not made of like rock or stone or anything like that. It was, it was made of materials like curtains. And the way the Mishkan was made, the Pasuk describes, is that they made 11 curtains, 11 sort of, uh, you know, I guess the word, not curtains, what do you call it, like mats or, or rugs, whatever, and they were then attached to each other, and those 11 rugs became the ceiling for the Mishkan. Also, the number 11, imperfect. Perfect is always exact, not more and not less. So this is a very strange thing. Well, again, the Mishkan seems to be a place that should demand perfection. Yet, on the other hand, it's a structure which imperfection seems to be woven into it. Again, imperfection in terms of too much material, imperfection in terms of the donations being half a coin, imperfection in terms of it being the ceiling, which is like, you know, where you're looking up to in the Mishkan. It was made of 11 rugs, all this imperfection. So this needs explanation. The truth is more than that. If you think about it, the, um, also what's described in our parsha, uh, the ones, the Jews that were, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu was obviously overseeing the whole project, but the ones that were the project managers that were really hands-on building the Mishkan were two Yidin, one by the name of B'Tzalel, ben Uri ben Yehuda, from the tribe of Yehuda, and one was uh, uh, from the tribe of Don. So you had one project manager from the tribe of Yehuda and one from Don. Now that was not a coincidence. Chazal say that the reason for that is is because Yehuda is considered to be the greatest of the tribes, right? Where if, in other words, if you had to imagine what a Jew, the perfect Jew looks like, Shevet Yehuda, kingship, that's what Yehuda is. And then you have Shevet Don, Chazal described as Yorud Shevishvatim, the most, the, 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 the farthest removed from kingship, the most imperfect of the tribes. So much so that the Gemara tells us that when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, so there was only one tribe that actually brought idolatry with them, and that was the tribe of Dun. So even spiritually, these were, there's, there was some level of imperfection in the tribe of Dun. So you see this dynamic as well, that in terms of building the Mishkan, who's in charge of it? A Jew that represents perfection, that's from the tribe of Yehuda, and a Jew that represents imperfection. Now, this idea, we haven't explained it yet, but this idea of perfect and imperfect, that itself is very much related to the discussion we started with, with the sun and the moon. Why? See, the sun always represents perfect. The sun never, even though the sun goes down, like at nighttime we don't see the sun, but the sun, whenever you see it, it's, you can't even see it, it's too bright, the sun all, does not diminish in its power. The sun is constantly giving light. The sun is constantly uh, giving warmth. The sun doesn't diminish at all. Chazal compare Maisha Rabbeinu to the sun. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu is perfect. The sun is perfect. It's always giving. The sun always represents, like Moshe Rabbeinu, it represents the teacher. Right? Like if you, obviously people are people and no, one's, no one is perfect, but prototype, if you're like, you know, like uh, if you create like an archetype, uh, you know, a, a, a certain uh, prototypical uh, archetype of a person, a teacher represents perfection because the teacher has knowledge, and his, and his or her job is to give that knowledge over. It's like Moshe Rabbeinu. So the son always represents the Rebbe, it represents the teacher, the one that has, the one that's perfect. On the other hand, the moon, 
always represents what is imperfect. So Moshe Rabbeinu is the sun, Yeshua ben Nun, the student, represent, is represented by the moon, Chazal say. The moon does not have any light of its own. All the, all the moon has is light that's imparted by it, to it from the sun. The best it can do is reflect that light to us. And even the appearance of the moon to us, it's not like the sun where it's just when it's there, it's perfect. It, it's imperfect. The vast majority of the time of the month that we have a relationship with the moon, it's imperfect. Only once, once a month, on the 15th. That's when the sihara, that's when the moon is bishlemus, is completion. But outside of that 15th day, it's always imperfect. So the sun represents the Rebbe, represents the teacher, that which is perfect. And this, the moon always represents imperfect. That's why, by the way, I mentioned before, what's the difference between the solar year and the lunar year? How many days? 11 days. Also, imperfect. Imperfect. Because that's the difference between the sun and the moon. The sun means perfection, and the moon means imperfection. <clears throat> and yet, when it comes to the Mishkan, as I said, the Mishkan somehow is bringing together the sun and the moon. Just like a leap year, it's bringing together the sun and the moon. So what does this all mean? What, 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 what does this mean? What is this telling us? What is this telling us? You know, this is also very much related to Purim. The word Esther, the word Esther in Aramaic means, Astara in Aramaic means the moon. That's what Esther means. <clears throat> that's why the word Esther in Hebrew also means concealed and hidden, right? Because that's something that's imperfect. Uh, when you see the moon, the moon is all, even most of the moon is, is hidden to us except for the 15th day. So the Esther Malka is very much connected to this. Esther Malka in Purim is, um, you know, even though Purim is, a, is an amazing holiday, but, but there, is, there, is, there is some level of tragedy in the story of Purim because Esther Malka remains in the palace and she remains in that place. But the, the, truth, is, the truth is that one of the, okay, one of the, one of the sort of themes, uh, hidden themes behind Purim is... The fact that Esther Malka remains in the palace, we know that it's not recorded in Megillah Sester, but it's recorded in Tanakh, that she eventually bore a son with Ahasuerus, she had a son with Ahasuerus, who would then be the next king of Persia, Daryavish II. And this king, Daryavish, was a Jew, his mother was Jewish, was Esther Malka, and he was the one to give permission for the Jewish people to rebuild the second base of Migdash. And in truth, a major part of the celebration of Purim is what? Is not only the celebration over the fact that we weren't killed by Haman. That's very nice, but you sort of, okay, now it's just status quo, like we weren't killed, okay. Why is that a reason to really celebrate? Really, the deeper celebration of Purim is the fact that the pieces were being put in place to rebuild the second base of English. That's really what it was about. If you think about it, in the story of Purim, so when everything is turning positive and everything's going well, so Ahasuerus turns to Esther and he says to her, what do you want? Whatever, whatever you want, uh, I'll give you. And she says, I want the ten sons of Haman to be hanged with their father. That's the first time you've heard of the ten sons of Haman. Well, like, what, are they, what, what, what does she have against the ten sons of Haman? I understand Haman is the enemy with ten sons of Haman. The answer is, the, the historical context of that was, is that before the story of, of Megillah Sester begins, the Jewish people actually began to rebuild the second base of Migdash. It's recorded in Sefer Ezra. The Jewish people began to rebuild the second base of Migdash. But the ten sons of Haman started spreading rumors in the palace that the Jewish people are rebuilding the temple in order to rebel against Ahasuerus. And so they started, you know, uh, sending uh, letters and making this whole campaign to, to spread such lies. 
And that's what stopped. Achashverosh decided he's going to stop to rebuild the second base of Migdash. And that's why every time he speaks to Esther and he says, whatever you want, I'll give you until half my kingdom. What does it mean half my kingdom? Chazal say half the kingdom means the second base of Migdash. I'll give you anything. I'm not giving permission to rebuild the second base of Migdash. So the whole, sto- the whole ten cents of Haman was all about stopping the second base of Migdash. And Esther Malka, when she finally finds herself in a position of, of real authority, and Achashurish is going to say whatever, you know, she'll, he'll do whatever she says. She says, I want the ten sons of Haman hanged. Because the whole thing of Purim was really about getting the Jewish people to rebuild the second base of Migdash. And you know what's amazing about the second base of Migdash? It was amazing, it was beautiful, it's a temple. Imperfect. Imperfect. Because it didn't have the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. There was no prophecy. There was no, the breastplate of the coin Gadol didn't shine with answers. It was it was a Beis HaMikdash, which is pristine and beautiful and amazing, but an imperfect Beis HaMikdash. And that's the Beis HaMikdash that we celebrate on Purim. Esther HaMalka, Esther, which means the moon, the imperfect one. So it, it, there's something going on over here. This idea with the sun and the moon being reunified in Adar, which is the month of Purim, which is a, month, which, which is a holiday that's celebrating the second Beis HaMikdash, which is beautiful but imperfect. The Mishkan being built in such a way of beautiful, perfect, but imperfect. Moshe Rabbeinu and Yeshua Benon, that's why Yeshua Benun, by the way, is a major personality when it comes to Purim. Because we know that, oh, there's a lot to talk about, but we know when it comes to Purim, so there are two days of right? There's Purim and there's Shushan Purim, right? So the, the usual day of Purim is the 14th, but any walled city similar to Shushan has Purim on the 15th. But the Gemara says that what, how old does the wall have to be for it to qualify to be part of Shushan Purim. If the wall is as old as Yeshua ben Nun, then that is a city that can celebrate Shushan Purim. Yeshua ben Nun, of all people, of all places. Because Yeshua ben Nun is the moon. Yeshua ben Nun is the student. Yeshua ben Nun is imperfect in relation to Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's what Purim is celebrating. Purim is celebrating the equality and the union between what's perfect and what's imperfect. The second base of Middash is beautiful, but it's imperfect, and that's what we're celebrating. Purim is a holiday which, is, which God took care of us, but not in a perfect way, because it was, it was masked, right? It was concealed. It was somewhat imperfect. Pesach is perfect. Hashem comes, splits the sea, ten plagues. Everything's gewaldic. Purim, God's running the show, but he's hiding himself at the same time. You understand? It's like the sun and the moon being together. Okay, so... So let me explain. I'm <laughs> a couple minutes to explain what, what this means. What is the myla? Here's the question. So what exactly is the benefit of imperfection? Because that, that's really at the, at the crux of what we're talking about. That the Mishkan, there's something missing in the Mishkan if it's not somewhat imperfect. And the Beis Hamikdash is missing if it's not imperfect. And Perm is missing if it's not imperfect. What is the, why do you need the moon? In what way, what contribution does the moon bring that the sun doesn't already have? Why do you need things to be perfect, but also imperfect at the same time? So, you know, listen, there's, there's, we can go very deep into this, but I want to I keep this as straightforward as possible. And I'm going to do the best I can. When something is perfect, and when I say perfect, I mean physically perfect, I mean spiritually perfect. When something is perfect... When you experience something perfect, then you're satisfied. Kacha, so I don't need to ask anything, anything more. It is what it is. It's perfect. You go and you know, you look at a painting or whatever. It's perfect. It's kavaldik. 
It's very, very nice. But you know when there's something imperfect in your life, or when there's something imperfect in the experience that you're having, it compels you, it compels you to go deeper. It compels you to go deeper because you cannot rely on the surface because the surface is imperfect. And so in order to find, you know, in others like this, everyone wants happiness. Everyone wants happiness. So what's going to make you happy? That's what the holiday of Purim is about, real happiness, right? So what makes a person happy? So there's two things that can make a person happy. Either things that are superficial or a person is compelled to go deeper in within themselves and within life to find something that's more real to make them happy. When you experience something, if life would be perfect, life is not perfect, if life would be perfect, then we would be blinded by the superficial perfection of life and we wouldn't be compelled. There would be nothing forcing us to look deeper into life to find something to make us happy because everything would automatically make us happy without even trying. And so there would be nothing compelling you to go deeper. Like, relationships are like this. If, 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 if you know, we all know this, like, you know, let's say a guy and girl are dating or something. It's a cliche, but on some level it's, it's truthful that you don't really know your spouse until you had your first fight, right? Because while, before the first fight, everything's perfect. This guy's perfect, everything about him is perfect, she's perfect, everything about her is perfect, everything is gewaldic. And so, you know, uh, you're by the Sheva Brachas, you know, and uh, the chassan gets up there, or the kal gets up there, and they're talking about how amazing their chassan kal is, and they're talking, they're, they're writing poetry and saying all these things, and you're throwing up in your mouth a little bit, right? Why? Because you think to yourself, what do you know? What do you know? You don't know the other person. You've been married for two days, because he dated for four months. You don't know the other person. When do you know, and, and, and because, why? Because you don't know the imperfections of the other person. You've not, you haven't met the imperfections of the other person and been able to, to use that as a way of getting deeper into that person and connecting in a deeper way to that person beyond the imperfection. It's too perfect. It's too pristine. Everything is too flawless. When things are too flawless, and there's nothing compelling you to go deeper than that because there's no reason to. And then you end up being a superficial person. The relationship is superficial. The whole experience is superficial. Do you know why there needs to be a moon? There needs to be a moon because otherwise there's nothing compelling the person to go deeper. The student on a certain level, you know, an example, you know, uh, Elio Hanavi had a great student. He was, he was the greatest Navi of the generation at the time of the first base of Migdash, and he had a great student, Elisha, right? And, you know, the Pasuk says a whole story that when Elio Hanavi not died, but when he just disappeared, so before that, all the prophets knew that this was going to happen. So Elisha, the student, makes a request of his Rebbe. He says that, I want to have pishnai bruchach. I want to have double, double your greatness. I want you to give me double of your greatness. And Elinavi says, okay, if you're going to be at the moment when I disappear, then I'll give you a bracha that you should have double of my portion. So Rabbi Nachman, other mafarshim, other commentaries ask, how is it possible for me to give you double of what I have? I could give you everything I have, and God could give you more, but how could I give you double of my portions? I mean, Rabbi Nachman says, you see from there that there is such a phenomenon of a student being greater than this teacher while being a student. 
How is it possible conceptually for a student to be greater than the teacher? Everything the student has is from the teacher. The answer is it's true that in terms of, of material and information, the, stu- the teacher is always going to be greater than the student. That's the nature of teacher-student. But because the student doesn't know everything, and because the student knows he doesn't or she doesn't know everything, and even what the student receives from the teacher, even that the student doesn't really understand, that imperfection of the student allows the student to be greater than the teacher because it compels the student to go deeper into the information, to go deeper into themselves, to find a part of themselves, to to unearth that part of themselves that wants. And that's something that the teacher doesn't necessarily have. As the Mishnah says, that one learns from his students and from her students more than they learn from their own Rabbeim. Because the student, the moon, what does the moon contribute to the sun? What the moon contributes to the sun is depth is depth, is the, is the desire to go beyond the surface. Because by the sun, the reality of the sun, everything's too good. It's too perfect. There's no flaws. There's nothing compelling you to go weiter. There hasn't been a fight yet. But the moon, because of its concealment, because of its imperfection, that's what compels it to find something deeper in life. And when a moon-like experience happens to a person and you go deeper to try to get beyond that flaw, then the perfection that you find and the happiness that you find is much more profound. And the relationship between the husband and wife and between the friends and so on, the parent and child, is much deeper after the fight than before the fight ever took place, if you could get past that. This is a celebration of Purim. Purim is a holiday that celebrates our relationship with God, a relationship of imperfection. Because the Purim story happens in exile. It happens when God's hand is concealed. It happens when Esther Malka is, is, is in the, the darkest place that you could imagine. It's celebrating the building pieces of the second base of Middash, which is a temple which is imperfect. And this is all what's going on. This is the month of Adar. This is what a leap year is. A leap year is about reuniting the sun and the moon. To reunite the sun and the moon means that the sun means the teacher and the, and the moon means the student. And the reuniting of those two worlds means that the student recognizes it needs a teacher, of course, but the teacher recognizes it needs a student. Why does, a re- why does a teacher need a student? Because without the student, then the teacher doesn't have imperfection. The, the, the teacher becomes a student. The teacher, the, the, the student becomes, a, the student teaches the teacher the greatness of imperfection and the desire and the, de- and the depth of personality that comes by not knowing, by not knowing. This is, by the way, a challenge that you find in schools, by the way, this is not like, Keep this in mind. It's, it's, it, it, I think it's an important point to remember is that usually, for the most part, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, people that become teachers were good students, right? We're, the average teacher in school might not have ever experienced not understanding anything. Because obviously, you know, when you learn something difficult, so the first second you don't understand it. But I'm talking about really not understanding something. But you can have many kids in the class that are not good students and truly don't understand. And so it takes a very good teacher to be someone who maybe never experienced that personally of really not understanding and not being able to sit quietly and, and all these challenges that students might have the teacher didn't experience. It takes a very good teacher to be able to understand that and to relate to that despite the fact that he or she never went through that himself. And that's called the leap year. That's called reuniting the sun and the moon. The greatest people are people that 
know that they're imperfect and embrace that and use that as a catalyst to go deeper into, into their lives to find something that's more than just superficial. That's what Purim is. That's what Purim is. Purim is the celebration of the unbelievable perfection of imperfection. That's what Purim is. That's the leap year. That's reuniting the sun and the moon. Let me tell you, you know, the, 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 I, I guess the halach lamaisa of this is that, you know, life is imperfect, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. Life is not perfect. The only thing that's perfect is God. And if you're not God, don't expect to be perfect. Don't expect your life to be perfect. And I mean physically, I mean spiritually, life is not perfect. But we use that imperfection as momentum to try to go deeper into life. You can try to fix all the cracks and make everything as, as perfect as possible. But remember, the Mishkan, which is the greatest structure of all, what was woven into the Mishkan was imperfection. Half a coin, too much material at the end, 11 rugs. And that's what made it amazing. What made it, what made it a place that when you went into the Mishkan, went into the Beis Migdash, you were brought somewhere deeper was on the one hand, there was a beautiful structure and that, you know, when you see something beautiful, it opens you up but it was also imperfect, and that brought you, it compelled you to go deeper. And that's the, that's the purpose of life, is to become deeper people, to become deeper people as, 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 as individuals, as parts of a family, as yidin, not to be satisfied with ourselves, not to be satisfied with the life around us, and what, what, it, what pushes that desire are the imperfections. That's what pushes the desire. The moon is absolutely necessary, is absolutely necessary. Alright, so let me, let, me, let me end off with a, a story. I guess the story is probably as confusing as the shear itself, so I guess it fits. But um, the story is like this. There was one of the great tzaddikim, the Chais of Lublin, the great seer of Lublin. So the Maisa goes that he was once traveling to his Rebbe, the Noimeli Melech, the Rabbi Melech of Lezhensk. So he was traveling, and it was, a, it was a long trip at the time, whatever it is. So along the way, he stops off in a hotel. They would have these, like, uh, these inns, you know, along the way. And it was more of like, um, I don't know what to call it. It was like a large bed and, bed and breakfast type of thing. You would rent a room to sleep in. But then there was like a communal dining room that everyone would eat the meals. And that was part of, that's what the hotel was. So they would go. And uh, so he's, he's staying there. And, you know, the Chais had good eyes. And he happens to notice there's a Jew with the corner of the room. And he's davening, he's doing whatever he's doing, and the Chayzeh notices this guy's a big, you know, he's a, he's a tzaddik, there's something special about this guy. So he goes over to him and starts a conversation with him, and, and as the conversation goes, he's even more, more convinced that this person's a big tzaddik. So at the end of the conversation, he says, listen, tell me something, you know, you're, you have, you're a big Balmadreg, I can tell. So he's like, no, no, he's like, no, son, I know, I know. So let me ask you something, the Chayzeh says to him, so who is your Rebbe? Who's your Rebbe? If you, you know, if you're such a big person on your own, you must have, who's your Rebbe? So he said, honestly, I don't have a Rebbe. I just, you know, I've grown on my own, and I learn, and I dive, and I do my mitzvahs on my own. I don't have a Rebbe. So the Chayzeh said, really? He said, no, I don't have a Rebbe. He said, you know, I'll tell you the truth. I'm going to my Rebbe, the Naimil Melech. If you connect yourself to my Rebbe, if you're as great as you are now, then I, I imagine how great you'll be if you connect to the Naimil Melech. So he said, fine. So I'm coming anyway, so come with me. So that's what he said. So fine, they traveled to the Melech. And it's already, uh, you know, close to Shabbos, where it is. And they get in. And the Chayza, the Chayza Lubin takes this guy into the office of the Nebim Melech. The Nebim Melech looks at them and just like, like, looks at the Chayza, smiles, you know, it's his close student. And then looks at this person 
and it's like as if as if someone just took a needle and, and, and stuck him with it. He was like so disgusted by the look of this person. So the Chayz was very taken aback by that. And the, and the Nehemiah says, I'm not even looking at this guy. I have to get this guy out of my sight. I can't. So the Chayz comes over to his Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, I don't understand. I mean, I have pretty good eyes. Not, not, not you, but I have pretty good eyes. And this person I saw is davening, is learning. He's a big balavayda. So the Nehemiah said like this. He said an amazing thing. He said, he said, listen, there's four types of Jews. There's one type of Jew who's a Russia, and they know they're a Russia. And that's a Jew that we can fix. Because he knows he's a Russia, so you can fix it. Then there's another type of Jew who's a Russia, doesn't know he's a Russia. Also fixable. Because it's only a matter of time until he figures out that he's a Russia. But then you have another type of Jew who's a Tzaddik, and he doesn't know that he's a Tzaddik. That's Gavadik. But then you have a fourth type, a person that's a tzaddik and he knows he's a tzaddik. Such a Jew, I can't fix. Such a Jew, I can't fix. This guy that you brought, he's a tzaddik and he knows he's a tzaddik. Unfixable. Unfixable. So the Chayzeh said, no, what am I going to do? So how do I, what do we do? So, so he said, you know, if you wait around, in a few days my brother, Abzusha, is going to come. And maybe if me and my brother come together, maybe we can try to fix this guy. So that's what they did. They waited around a few days and they brought this person in to the office when Ramelech and Rezush are both there. He's in there for a little bit. He comes out, eyes are red, and he turns to the Chayzeh and he says, now I know I'm not a tzaddik. And now I could be a tzaddik. That's an akuda. It's, it, it, to know that we're imperfect, that's good. That's good. And that's, that, that's what makes a person deep. That's what makes a person deep is knowing that you're not perfect, and knowing that life is not perfect, that's good, that's good. But when everything is too perfect, and everything is gavaldic, and you don't see the imperfections in your life, or in, a, or in the world around you, if you're a tzaddik, or a tzaddikist, and you know you're a tzaddik and a tzaddikist, can't fix it, can't fix it. You have to know that, it's, again, it's a subtle story, it's a subtle story, and it's a deep opinion, but it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things, the day of perm itself, there's no time, there's no headspace to actually think on deep levels, it's just crazy, right? So all the, all the depth of Purim you have to think about before. And so this is what Purim is. It's a celebration of imperfection. Hashem shall bless each and every one of us that we should, our life should be as perfect as possible. But whatever little left crack there is, you know, that's imperfect, we should talk, use that as momentum to deepen our relationship with Hashem, to deepen our relationship with ourselves, deepen our relationship with other people. And with that, we'll be able to uh, talk and become elevated to de- see that time where the sun and the moon are reunited. Once again, thank you to the Shabbos opening their home. And, and all of you should have an amazing, uh, amazing day, an amazing weekend. Shabbos should be amazing. Thank you. Yeah.